Harrison, do you feel that? Maybe. It's a little different, isn't it? What? The, the, the feel of the podcast right now. A little different. Don't you feel that? Do you, do you smell it? Give it a good... Do you, don't you smell a little bit of a difference? I can't really do that. My son... Can't you sense it? it? Don't you feel different vibes even as we begin? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, because hockey is on and basketball is on and, uh, and uh, baseball no! is on. None of that matters. We have bigger news than hockey or hockey going to like 12 periods or basketball or whatever. We have bigger news than all of that. No, we don't. Yes, we do. What? You tell me what is bigger than hockey. What is bigger than hockey is that we have a guest producer on for today's uh, episode. But is he on? He's not on, but he's 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 editing our podcast. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, producer Nick, lovely, lovely, sweet, sweet producer Nick and his uh, wonderful fr- fiance, producer Riley. They are getting married this week. That's and right. And so, our, in our benevolence, in our mercy, in our understanding, uh, we're just going to dock Nick's pay, and we're giving it to uh, your friend and mine, Taylor Schroll. That's right. Because nothing says we support the laity like you get nothing. Yes, you get nothing. Welcome to your new life to together. Us. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, hey, Riley's still getting paid. Yeah, because she's still, I mean, she didn't say that she was taking off work. She's still going to answer our emails. At least one of our staff actually works. Yeah, absolutely. And the other one, that's fine. You can just worry about getting married, and that's fine. But uh, (laughs) we're going to pay Taylor Schroll to help us out this weekend. So for those who don't know, Taylor Schroll is a good friend of mine. You've been on his show, Forte Catholic. Yeah. And uh, the way uh, Taylor's show goes, it's a more casual Catholic conversation. The whole thing is about making Catholicism fun again. He has a rotating uh, a co-host, and I'm one of the rotating co-hosts. So if you want to, like, if you miss the old days of the podcast where um, Harris and I really just beat each other up most of the time, we've gotten much nicer in our yeah. old age. <laughs> but if you miss that sort of thing, then you can listen to Taylor Schroll humble me throughout his podcast and... Final big news, final plug for you, Taylor, is that he just had his 200th episode. That's awesome. That dropped uh, just this week. Cool. So I'm on it and all the other people are on it, and it's a delightful show, and I encourage you to listen to that after you're done listening to Clerically Speaking. Nice. But you are right now listening to Clerically Speaking. (laughs) Welcome. I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. If any of you stop listening to our show to check out Taylor's show, I'm going to be so mad. And yeah, I can tell. I can tell when you stop listening. That's the graces of orders. That's right. People don't know that graces of orders means magic powers. Basically. I mean, that's pretty, by basically, I mean, we are exactly. pretty much magicians. Wizards, if you will. We take our and we take ourselves very seriously. Absolutely. Because we were very important. No, that, was a, that, what, was a, that was a rest of development illusion. Sorry. Uh, see, the references aren't funny when you point them out. I know, but I kind of had to because I was like, you probably won't get the joke. So. Here, here's the thing. I told you I'm not explaining my jokes no more. I'm just going for it. You do what you got to do. <laughs> but what 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 important thing is going on in your important clerical life, uh, Harrison? I'm recording, I'm recording from my new office at St. Peter's. <gasps> I've moved since we yep. last recorded, and so I'm settling in. It's a little weird right now to be – I mean, it's just a weird time to move, to be honest. It's just – it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, just man. Just going to be honest. It's going to suck. Although – uh, you can see a little bit right now. Uh, I've got this really awesome stained glass behind me in my office that is into the church, and it's of the apostles catching fish, and then and then on the other side is Jesus um, forgiving Peter for his three time denial. It's very cool, and that's in the backdrop of my office every day, which is kind of cool. 
That's a very good thing to have in the pastor's office. That's right. Exactly. I would say. Yeah. Because obviously I'm Jesus. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're Jesus, obviously. I was going to say you're supposed to catch fish and you mess up all the time. That's what I was going to say. But I mean, the Jesus thing is sacramentally very true. Yeah. I'm not Peter. I'm Jesus. No. No, no. Uh, yeah. So no, it's just, just slowly getting settled. It's a little, it's, it's, it's also trying to you have to get, I don't think people understand, like when you go into a new parish, it's a new space, right? So you have to develop new routines and habits around these new spaces. So mm-hmm. for example, um, my old rectory was actually like right at the church, like downstairs was the office, upstairs was the rectory kind of thing, um, yeah. and attached to the church. Not the case here. My, my rectory is about a three minute drive away. And already though, I could say I was noticing some benefits of it. I feel more relaxed when I'm at the rectory. It's mm-hmm. more just a place to just chill and, and everything, which is kind of nice. Um, and so, but the, the weird, this is the weird part for me. I have to break up my library. What do you mean it's a, you're breaking up with your library? <laughs> what did your library do to you? I thought your library was your faithful spouse. What is going on? So well, two things. First, I mean, as people know, I have many books. Yes. And um, I've decided that I'm not moving for 10 years. Oh, you get to choose that. That's nice. I mean, I kind of said to the bishop, like, you ain't moving me for a while then if I'm moving here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was he okay with that? Oh, yeah. Uh, after moving 2,000 books, I'm very glad I said that. Okay, so like, bring me through this process. How did you move 2,000 books? Was it all your parents? Did they pack up all your books for you? How that worked? So my parents, God bless them, are very, very helpful with this. Although, um, although the way they packed some of the boxes was a li- was backwards or a little mixed up on some of the shelves. Not many, but some. And my analness around my library uh, came out when I was unpacking some of those boxes yesterday. It's like, they're not in order. They're not in the order I set them in. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, I'm not a micromanager, except for when it comes to my books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was actually very smart with this. I had a whole system planned out. I labeled each shelf and then each, or bookshelf and then each shelf. And then uh, each shelf got a box. So each bookshelf, like each individual shelf of a bookshelf got a box. And then you labeled shelf A1 on the box. So mm. that when the movers move them into the house, they're not going to be in the same order. So if right. I got if I got box D3, well, that's going to go on shelf D, row three. And so when we're unpacking, you don't have to do it in order anymore because they're all ready to go. And that was kind of Question. My, yes. Why are you putting your books in order if all... 200,000 of them are written by Ratzinger anyway. Because they're not all written by Ratzinger. What? Is there another theologian? Because I haven't heard another theologian on this podcast. uh, There's Balthazar. Okay, yeah, yeah. We we talked about him. There's John Paul II. Okay, so that's that's three bookshelves. There's Augustine. Well, okay, fine. Fulton Sheen. Now you're just showing off. Bonaventure. Can you stop? Irenaeus. Okay. St. Athanasius. He's okay too. <laughs> this is like this is like the litany of saints now, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Saint Irenaeus. Right. This book. Or, yes. Or, or, yeah. Or, yeah. Book. So anyway, so no, but it actually worked out. I my parents were like, that was a very smart system because it made unpacking way easier. And God sure. bless my parents; they packed up pretty much most of my library for me while I was wrapping things up at the parish. So mm-hmm. very grateful for them to come over and help me out. And now I'm just kind of kind of settling in. And uh, on my way here, since you got to do a podcast plug, I too am going to do a podcast plug. 
What? We're going to talk about two podcasts that aren't ours? Why not? Let's let's okay. Let's be sure. But this one is at least semi-clerical. Okay. Well, I guess yours is well. Yours is a quarter clerical. Yes, correct. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so it's a new podcast. Now, I just want to make sure I actually get the name right because it's it's um, yeah, it's called the Episcopal Podcast by our good friend. Bishop Richard Umbers, who we had on the podcast a few months ago. And who has the best bumper in all of Bumperland. Bishop Richard. The sad thing is he has yet to use this bumper on the Episcopal podcast. Okay, that's true. But they do, I mean, it's an interview segment with him. That's, you know, it's interviewing Bishop Umbers. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so this this podcast was put up by Bishop Umbers, uh, who's a good friend. We both know him from Twitter and everything. And uh, he wants to try to engage young adult, intellectual young adult Catholics. So mm-hmm. it's a bit it's a bit headier, which is right up my alley. And right. it's only about half an hour. So there's not a lot of banter. So it's him and Matthew Tan, who both who both, by the way, listen to our podcast. Wait, was that the podcast you were on when you went back when you went down no, under? No, that oh. was this Catholic life. Okay. Which is also good and worth listening to. Uh the Australians are trying to get into this podcast game. You know, like everything, they're probably about twenty years behind the times. Sure, yeah. As I, I've now just alienated every other And industry. all their podcasts are recorded upside down. Am I? Because uh, Australia is upside That's the joke. Okay. That's the joke. Anyways, uh, they just started. They're on episode five. It, it releases every two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. The latest one is on they, – they bring on a scholar to talk about a different one. You know, I do hope one day they perhaps want to bring on a Ratzinger scholar. Who knows? Yeah, know? let's wait until <clears> you get your doctorate. Then you can be called a scholar. But uh, so like the recent one was on Rene Girard and stuff like this. And But it's, it's a really good podcast. Matthew and Bishop Umbers are great people. So I encourage people to check it out. Give it a subscribe. Add it on top of Clerically Speaking. All right. That's enough about talking about other people's podcasts. It's time to talk about other people's tweets on the Summa Theologica. No, the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. You know what? You had a beautiful transition. It was so. That's the thing. I got so excited for it that I I didn't stick the landing and ruined it. So we'll see. We'll see because Nick usually has some uh, creative freedom in how he wants to edit things. So we'll see if Taylor keeps that in or not. Of course he's going to keep it in because it makes you look like a fool. Yeah, that's true. Right, and this is right and just. Taylor's going to want to do this. So, anyways, (laughs) okay, I might look like a fool, but you know who else looked like the fool? The USCCB website. Can we talk about this? This sure. is a tweet from Father Michael Lowendahl, and he uh, tweets at the USCCB. Dear USCCB, please, please bring back the calendar feature to the mass readings to your newly designed website. It was the easiest, best designed, and most used feature for me, and now, at first use, I can't find the mass readings on your website. So, I have done some investigation. And you you can indeed find it on the website. Yeah. 
And I will say, I'll begin with the compliments. The way that we actually get to the readings, the way the readings are structured, it looks a lot nicer. And that's the end of the nice things I'm going to say. Dear USCCB, good lay people who work there, dear bishops, I want you to understand the only reason anyone goes to your website is to find the readings. And on your old website, which was, which was perfectly Catholic in that it didn't look great, it was only mildly functional, okay? But that's fine. No one expects more than that from the USCCB. But at the very least, there was a picture on the front page of the calendar that not only had the dates, but the colors of the feast day. And all you had to do was USCCB in the Google machine. I could click the day. I could get the readings. And now you got rid of the colors. I missed the colors. It, it isn't on your front page the way it used to be. Just, just bring it back. Just please, please bring it back. Okay, but okay, I'm going to fight you on this one a little bit. All right. I want you to go on your computer right now. Okay. I want you to type in the following address on, on your web browser. Okay. Bible. Bible. Dot USCCB. Mm -hmm. How do you spell that? You. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go. Dot org. Dot org. Nope, still don't like it. You know why? Why? No colors. How do I know? Why do you hate people who are colorblind so much? I do not hate them, That's but what I do I'm not hearing. care about them. That's what I'm hearing. I don't I'm care because I'm not. That you don't care about people who are colorblind. That's what I'm hearing. That is exactly what I said. This is a website for priests who aren't colorblind. That's it. Those are the only people who go to the website. And guess what? If they're colorblind, they're not looking for the colors anyway. It's fine. They can just click the dates. But like... Okay, for example, so instead of August 15th, yeah. August 15th, the Solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. How am I supposed to know if I'm, if I'm supposed to wear white? Your Ordo. It's impossible. Your Ordo. Ordo. Your Ordo. Who, who keeps Ordos anymore? I do. I used to, but I just haven't got one lately. Your parish should buy you one every year. They should, but maybe I lost it in my office. The point is- Why don't you keep it a sacristy, like a normal, sane human being? You're making me very upset right now. <laughs> In the morning, I get my coffee. I want to check to see what the readings are. Then I look at the readings. I pray about them in my holy hour. I preach an amazing daily mass homily that no one could say was bad ever, no matter what happens on other shows. And then, then, then I'm good to go. But now I can't do that as easily. This is a cross, I know what an you're extra cross here. that I have to bear, and I don't want to bear it. I see through you. I see through you right now. Yeah. There is a reason for for all this. What's the, what could possibly be the by reason? speaking against the USCCB? You uh -huh. are ensuring that you will never be named a bishop. Well, I mean, I I I am uh, hurt that you would ever even think that I thought that was a possibility. <laughs> well, I didn't because think, I didn't think that you I have it was too a many words recorded. I'm just saying you're just trying to stack the cards against you as best as possible. I did that when I started recording this podcast, and I doubled down when I went on Taylor Schroll's show, okay? So all I have to do is listen to five minutes of any of those shows, and I'm outski. I am done. I am going back to parochial vicar. Even if I'll be a pastor, and the USCCB will decide, no, you're going back to parochial vicar. I don't know if they have the authority to do that, they but don't. they'll do it anyway. They don't. Unless they're, like, you know, in the secret room, planning out every pastoral appointment for the entire church. Maybe. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, that's enough of that tweet. Yes. You go pick one. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Let me get my Twitters open here. Um, oh, okay. This is a little helpful tip 
that people may not know about confession. This is from Tarkov Luke Goblin at No Ordinary Socks. What are you supposed to do or say after listing your sins in confession? I just kind of sit there and wait. So, God bless you, Brandon, but uh, please, please, please don't just sit there and quiet. Because then the priest is going to say something that you might be hurt by, like, is that all? <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> is that all you got for me? Are you finished? Are you done? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, or whatever things. Because like, there's really no good way for a priest to answer that silence without sounding like a jerk. Well, I, I'll say, I'll say, I mean, I may or may not sound like a jerk, but I'll say, is there anything else you need to bring to confession today? That's a good way. That I never Look how of. pastoral that is. Oh, my goodness. All you other priests who listen to the show, you can steal that. I'm, you know, I don't mind. I'm stealing it. Yeah. But no. So for those who don't know, uh, you are supposed to usually end with something like, for these and for all my sins and for those I cannot remember, I'm truly sorry. It's n- There's no official thing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the ritual that says what you're supposed to say. It's meant to just be more of a signpost to the priest to say, hey, Father, I'm done. Yeah. Now, give me your 20 minutes of advice and <laughs> right. my three Hail Marys, and I'm out. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, no. But yeah, that's just – or it doesn't have to be even that. Say, I'm truly sorry for these sins or something like that. Just something to say, like, I'm truly sorry or just something to say to the priest. Yep. I'm done. Hey, sometimes I've even had something like, and that's it. Yeah, that'd be. I'd be okay. All with right, that fine. Too. I know. I know. I can start talking. Right. Yeah. Uh, um. So yeah. So I just thought it's a good tweet to use to kind of point out because I think sometimes people don't know these things, and and it's a good thing to talk about these things. So yeah. Yeah, I think I think the confessional in so many ways is this uh, perfect sacrament of God's mercy and His justice, and His mercy. He will wipe away all of our sins. They will be obliterated in the sight of God. Mm-hmm. But in his justice, he has decided to make it awkward for everybody. So if you ever go to the confessional and it just feels awkward, like I don't feel like I said the right thing. It seemed like father was asleep or he was off his game or whatever. That's all normal. So never feel bad if confession was just like socially awkward. Yeah. Because you know what? It's really weird to say your sins out loud to the priest just on a human level. On a spiritual level, you are confessing to Jesus Christ through the priest. This is good, okay? But yeah, I mean, this is something that I've I've been trying to figure out how to do myself. So when they come into the confessional, a lot of times people will have like a routine. They'll go right into the, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, blah, 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 blah. They'll list the sins. They do their own thing. Some people go in the confessional and have no idea what to do. Some people go in the confessional and they normally know what to do, but for some reason today their brain turns off and they start freaking out and they don't know what to do. So if there's a silence uh, at the beginning, I'll, and also you don't, you don't know. I don't know if you're on the other side of the screen, if you're having this serene or intense spiritual moment and you need a few seconds for me to shut up. I don't know. But when someone comes in uh, and they don't say anything, uh, I'll say something like, welcome to confession. Are you ready to begin? And we'll go from there. So this is all advice we're giving you. But even if you don't listen to any of it, that's okay. Just go to confession. Because Father Harrison, I mean, you can speak for yourself, but... We get all kinds of confessees, people who haven't been there for 30 years, people who have been there last week, and we've kind of seen and heard it all. And we're and to be honest, I've said this before on the show, as important as you think your confession is, it's probably kind of normal and boring. And I don't mean that like your struggles are, are boring, they're real, but like for us, it's just going to be another confession. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to be thinking about the things you said. We might be thinking, oh man, I was kind of awkward in that, but 
For you, don't worry. So if you leave the confessional thinking, does father think I'm a weirdo? Father has already forgotten. He doesn't care so much. Yeah. He just wants you to receive God's love and his mercy. Here's one other awkward thing I, I always struggled with, especially if you can't really see the other side at all. Uh-huh. Are they settled in yet? <laughs> right, right, right. Some of our older folks, they take a while to That's like right. move their walker to its spot and to sit down. And some of them want to kneel, but they shouldn't kneel, but they want to anyway. So that might take some time. I don't know what's yeah. going on with you. Yeah. So we want to give you that time to get all settled and ready to confess your sins. That's right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, just just go. Just go. I feel bad in a way because like when I first got here, because like, I don't know. What, well, I mean, part of the part of what happened ever since the shutdown, when this place we were open, they've gone our my the previous pastor of my parish was really the bishop and then they had a new guy who was only here for three weeks and then left and then they had a re- just a temporary guy for two months before i came in so no one was wow. really around to set up anything permanent because the usual confessionals are probably too small for covid time mm-hmm. for so they were using the sanctuary which i hate with a passion for two reasons one is my voice carries and I know I have a hard time keeping it down, especially when you have an older person confessing and they can't hear you. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to yell because if I yell, everyone's going to hear what you, what you got to say here. And, and that's not good. Uh, or they're going to hear your sin through my mouth or something like that. And that's not good. That's not, that's not protecting the seal. The other mm-hmm. thing I don't like about it is people have a right to anonymity if they so choose. Yes. So now, so I said to folks when I, before I even got here, I said, just so you know, when I come into the parish, confessions are, I mean, also because I was away on holidays for a few days, I said, confessions are canceled for the first two weeks, just so I can get things set up so we can have anonymous, safe confessions that can protect the seal. And so now I actually, I walked through yesterday with a guy, kind of one of our sacristans in the parish and we actually got something ready to go. So we're, we're probably won't set up for this Saturday, but for the Saturday after, because we want to do that. And I love that. So like, I'm actually like, I haven't really heard many confessions in a few weeks and it's really weird and I hate that. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm ready to get back into the confessional. So yeah. Yeah. And and just a word of empathy for our good lay people listeners. It's, it's gotta be tough to be kind of like, like at the mercy of the priest in the sense that each priest has their own way of doing things and their own personality. Yeah. And then you get into a rhythm and then you get a new priest and there's a different rhythm. And like I'm sure like there are uh two other priests and one retired priest in my parish. I can guarantee you we all do things differently and sometimes you don't know <laughs> who you're going to get when you walk through the door. So all that is just normal awkwardness. So yeah. don't beat yourselves up. The fact that you had the courage and you trusted God enough to to go to confession, you're a winner. You did it. You got mercy. If it was awkward along the way, that's okay. Don't feel bad. Yeah, because like so for example, sometimes sometimes the priest might be tired, but he's there. He's still there, but he's tired. Mm-hmm. And so he might be hearing your confession. He might not just have much energy and say, I have no words of advice today. Your penance is a decade of the rosary. Sure. And that's it. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, these other things, as good as they are, advice, counseling, etc., they're additions to the sacrament. The essence of the sacrament is to confess the sins and to receive absolution and to be sorry for mm-hmm. your sins. Those three things happen. You've had a valid confession. It's also not about how we feel, right? Because you were talking about that earlier. Like, it's not about how we feel. In the end, God's grace works. And so it's about making an act of hope and faith in, in that, that that works. So you might come out, as long as you got absolved, even if it was a bad experience, then we've all had them. Yeah, right. Ugh. God has forgiven you. Mm-hmm. through the priest question yes 
Do you ever drink coffee while you're in the confessional? Um, I have on a few occasions where I was really, really, really tired because, mm-hmm. like, my, especially my last month in my last parish, I was not sleeping well at all, and I realized it was probably because of the stress of the move and everything. And so, yeah, when I would go to hear confessions, I'd bring a cup of coffee in with me because I needed to be able to stay awake. Yeah, because it's funny because it's, it's a kind of weird sacrament in that it's the only sacrament I have brought coffee to. Yep. In my, like, you can't do it with other ones, but no. like, um, which is also on a selfish level why I prefer behind the screen just so I don't freak anyone out with my uh, yes. with my cup of coffee. Yes, exactly. It's like, <laughs> sorry, how many people did you murder? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> One lump or two. No, no, not talking about how many times you hit them on the head. I want you to. I'm sorry. (laughs) All righty. Okay. Let's talk about more spiritual and human things in today's presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations oh yes quite good quite good indubitably i bet they can't wait to learn (laughs) it's my favorite part it's the best part yes yes quite yes father harrison how do you feel about talking about the spiritual life you comfortable with that sure okay so let's do it i'm gonna start off with a question for you okay and I hope you give me the ordinary answer. And if you make my deeper point, I'm going to be super mad at you. Okay. So that, that that's the preface. Father Harrison, why do we get distracted in prayer? Well, there's a few reasons. Yeah, give us a few. One is people like me with ADHD. It just happens. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning to accept this. Mm-hmm. But I'd say maybe the biggest one is because actually we love things more than God. Okay. Okay. Did I make a deeper, did I make a deeper spirit? That point? might be. You might, might be getting be. onto it. Okay. Okay. So let's let's break it down. <laughs> and I, yeah, let's be careful. Like I don't want people to hear that and say, "Oh, I get distracted." I oh my gosh, I don't love God enough. Like don't don't beat yourself up. I'm just saying. We've got a whole segment to talk yes, about. Exactly. That's what we're gonna do. Just, That's just, what just we're gonna do. Chill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so this is. I mean, this is a question I get all the time, or not a question, but a concern. People getting really upset that they that they get distracted in prayer, mm-hmm. right? Because getting distracted in prayer, it's no fun. It doesn't feel like prayer. You might not be getting a lot of spiritual insights. A lot of people beat themselves up for being distracted in prayer, right? It's like, it's it's my fault. And and sometimes it's just not. Sometimes it's just a normal human thing. Like you uh, with ADHD stuff. Or like, you know, for me, like this morning, I was super tired last night. I did not sleep well. And I just dozed off most of my holy hour. And that's not how I like to do my holy hour. Like I like to be reading and praying and listening to our Lord and uh, levitating. That's fun. I like doing that in prayer. Like all these things. Like like when the angels visit. But how me, do you levitate with all that Italian grease? Like that's no, no, it actually, down. The no, 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 it doesn't. Like, it actually doesn't. Actually, it, that's that's the fuel. That's like you know when you burn a candle uh-huh. or uh, oil burns. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing. So oh, the okay. reason why most people don't levitate is that many people um, aren't. Italian by birth, they're only Italian by grace, the grace of their baptism. Yes, but isn't being Italian by grace the same thing as being Italian by birth? Well, I mean, grace builds on nature, Father Harrison, as we all know. I'm a little disappointed. And perfection. Even... Right, 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 right. So but we're if all in grace is places... perfecting your Italian nature, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm still confused here. 
The point is, the point is, <laughs> those are the things, you know, when the angels can come and speak to me, when I see Jesus Christ face to face in my prayer, that's what I prefer, okay? <laughs> but sometimes that doesn't happen. And indeed, like, sometimes it's because, I mean, actually my spiritual director yelled at me the other day because oh, wow. he found out I was going to my holy hour in the morning before I ate anything. Oh, no, that's bad, He's like, yeah. what are you doing? Have a yogurt or something. How do you expect to be awake and be ready for your holy hour if you don't put something in your body? How did he yell at you? He didn't, he didn't yell at me. Not that he would be afraid of yelling at yeah. me if he needed to. He's great. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, but he was just like, what are you doing? He just kind of like, <laughs> not made fun of me, but just kind of like, hey, hey, that's, this is stupid. Don't do that. Smart Make sure enough. you eat something before yeah. you pray. Right. And so I, I've started to do that, and actually it makes a huge difference. Cool. Um, so there's all those kinds of normal reasons. Let's get into your reason first, because I don't think it's the same as my reason so right. much. Uh, the other reason is because we, we like worldly things. Mm -hmm. So this will be something that'll happen in my prayer. Um, sometimes instead of like praying, like I've, I've made myself go to prayer because I'm a good and holy priest, but sometimes in my prayer, you know what? I'd rather just think about video games. Or maybe I'm thinking about the breakfast that I'm going to eat, the bigger breakfast I'm going to eat afterwards, because that's kind of where I want to be. I don't want to be in prayer. I'd rather be distracted. Is that something you're, ta is, what are, what are you talking about? Sort of. I guess what I'm talking things? about is like we show up to prayer mm -hmm. and our mind gets filled with other loves. And it, for me, it's like not even such a bad thing per se if we are willing to actually encounter it in that when distraction happens in prayer like this and it, it, where our attachment is, oh, I wonder how the Canucks game is going to go tonight. Mm -hmm. Or... You know, if I do this, this, and this, I can make an extra thousand dollars this week. I find this especially around stuff around the comfort of life. I think mm -hmm. it does manifest like, well, then I actually prefer to spend my mental time on this thing rather than on God. Mm -hmm. And that reveals something about our heart. Now, that's never a bad thing if we're willing to encounter it and engage it. Okay. So, all right, that's that's what's happening right now. That's why I'm distracted. And anyway, it's going to be like that for a while, probably. Okay, Jesus, help me to detach me from this, right, is kind of where I would go with it. It's like, help me, or help me to get a right-ordered thing with this. Maybe it's not a bad thing to get another $1,000 in work this week or whatever, but why do you want it? Like, and, that, and these are, but those are, and this is where we can bring it to prayer. Why do I want this? Like, you can do a little examination of conscience. Why do I want this? What does this do for me? Is it just for me? Will it be for the good of others? Will I give 10% of that money away to others, to charity, to the church, et cetera, if I make this more money? Like, it, like if you can start to make it into part of an examine, then it can actually be, then the distraction wanes and the distraction becomes less of an attachment and rightly orders it into wanting to live for God's glory, right? So I think like, it's just that when I say that our distractions sometimes can manifest a deeper love that isn't God, that's actually the grace of God in our time of prayer revealing these attachments so that he can bring us to a deeper love for him. Yeah, I think that points to a really um, freeing and uh, just a relieving spiritual principle that God will use everything to make your prayer better. I mean, what was it? Was it God uses all things for good to those who love him. Exactly. All things, so all things. It, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's really good because a lot of times we beat ourselves up if we've had a bad day or week or sometimes months or years of prayer um, uh, or lack of prayer, but God will even use that to bring you closer to him. Mm -hmm. So that's a, I mean, 
it may be difficult in the moment, and it may even be because of our own sinfulness, of our own attachment to other things. And I, I find a lot of people freak out about this. Because people who are, are concerned about this question, people who are concerned that they're distracted in prayer, they are pursuing the devout life. They are pursuing God on a deep and real level. They love God, okay? So that's that's important and that's good to acknowledge. But sometimes I'll hear things like, I was distracted and I didn't really want to be. It's like, well, I hate to break it to you. On some level, you wanted to be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't It wasn't like a conscious thing. Right. But this is kind of where your heart is. Exactly. And don't be shocked if you find out through prayer that, oh, I'm still a sinful person. God doesn't hate you because of that. He's showing you that not to, not to mock you, not to make fun of you. No, no, no. It's like, hey, this is where your heart is. And if you don't acknowledge where your heart is, then you can't move forward. So when those distractions and things you know creep up, don't run away from them. Because this, this is sometimes, it's tough. Okay, so uh, let's go back to me for an example. Um, I'm thinking about video games and prayer. Sometimes I need to be like, Anthony, just stop thinking about video games and prayer. Pick up this uh, rosary or pick up this prayer that you like to do and just put that to the side. But maybe on another level, it's like, okay, wow, I've been playing video games a lot lately, more than I usually do. Wait, why am I doing that? Sometimes the cure for distraction in prayer is to pray with a distraction. Like, why is this thing keep coming up? And it might be something stupid, like video games. It might be something that you don't think is prayer worthy. But if it's something that's on your heart, whether it's big or small, that's what God wants. So sometimes the the cure to being distracted in prayer is praying with your distractions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I even say to people sometimes, like if you listen again, it happens to all of us um, yeah. with the distractions. Like that is, I also say, hey, if if you're sitting there in adoration, you're just kind of looking at the Lord and everything, and suddenly you're like, oh, I need to go get bread at the store and milk and honey. Just say, Lord Jesus, I place this concern in your hands. Mm -hmm. So like I always say, like your distraction is actually an opportunity to make a choice, right? You, you have a choice here to say, and that, and here's the other thing, like this, it's okay. Like God actually wants to care about even those mundane things in your life. Yeah. Right. So it's okay to say, Hey, I want to put my grocery list in your concern. God, like that sounds <laughs> a little silly, but it's just like to say, Jesus, I place this in your hands. Suddenly this concern and like, and I always say too, like if you have a little notebook, write those things down quickly. It's okay because then it'll get it off your mind and say, "Okay, Jesus, yeah. I've done this with you. And I place this in your hands." And now it's actually sanctifying this little uh, domestic task you have to do for God's glory, which is a good thing. And that because that's really what the whole Christian life is about is about bringing all things under God's glory, including buying milk, right? So <laughs> um, it's okay to to do that. The other thing, like, in, I don't know if you're if you're going to go here or not with this, but it, it, it's. With distractions too, I think part of it is we often start prayer not knowing how to start prayer. Okay. Well, by this, I mean like we just think I just have to show up and sit there, which usually doesn't work. We just think I have to quiet down. And I just have to let God speak to me. This is going to sound weird to say, but I think we over-spiritualize our prayer. And by that, I mean we ignore the embodied element of our personhood. Mm. right we get a little gnostic around prayer thinking this is just a purely spiritual experience but really it's that prayer is not a i mean prayer is a spiritual experience but it's really a personal experience and the person is body and soul does that make sense 
Yeah, yeah. I think maybe another way to say it is it's not a purely passive experience. Right. Like in, in a certain sense, you go to prayer to receive. Prayer is not your work. It is God's work. It's a right. work of grace. But I mean, it always helps to use the relationship of uh, the analogy of relationship. If you're going to be with someone you love, you, it's kind of weird to be like, okay, you're there. I'm here. And now we just wait. Right. But you would be a weird friend if you did that all the time. Right. Now, on a certain level, like just because I know that people are thinking this before you go on. There are those times when you're with someone you love and nothing needs to be said. That's right. And you're just in each other's presence. And that's a good thing. So we're not discounting that. Uh, so I want to get that out there before you go on. Right. But right. yeah. So talk more about like the our part in prayer. So I just mean like, I think we, we discount spiritual tools and aids in prayer too much. I think like it's funny because I think even I would say maybe even a few years ago, I found any kind of devotional very hard to do because I just thought, but there's personal conversation with God. But now I've actually realized why they have a place in the life of the church. They're not the be all end all, but really they're the starting point. And because God communicates to us, God speaks to us, which means he's going to address us in a way we speak and hear and learn, which means through our senses. Mm -hmm. So I think always our spiritual life ought to be aided by something where God can speak to us. So it could be a Spiritual reading, um, Lexio Divina or um, the Rosary, something like this is actually, I think, a great place to start with prayer. It kind of, it kind of settles you down into hearing, and you recognize these little bits where God is really actually working in your heart, and that opens the door of grace to really listen, and then mm-hmm. you can enter into the silence of prayer. I think just too often, I think that's why we get distracted because we've we've skipped a few steps. In, in entering into the more silent part of prayer by just skipping all the kind of material parts that are part of prayer. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this this also becomes a difficult challenge once someone starts praying regularly. Because a lot of times, like, uh, let's say you hadn't been praying for a while and then you went in and had your holy hour and you had a very powerful, intense experience or like God just like laser beamed you with like very sensible graces. And if that's your only experience of prayer, you can expect that every time. So if that's not happening every time, you start to freak out and then your mind starts to wander. It's like, no, no, no. Actually, the more you pray, the more ordinary it becomes. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important to use those sort of tools and things, because this is just ordinary prayer. Going for the Lord, if you're not in adoration, you know, by yourself in some sort of place of silence, whatever you can manage, uh, and, you know, uh, praying the rosary. And maybe all you did was pray the rosary, and it was nice, and it was fine, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. That's normal prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to have a certain kind of humility when we come to prayer. That Because um, a lot of times, people fighting through the distractions are looking for the right formula the right words to say, the right things to do so that they get this experience in prayer. It's like, no, that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about this relationship with God, this communion with God. And a lot of times that relationship looks ordinary. Yeah, totally. No, no, exactly. I agree. Yeah. So, but I want to get to another thing. Okay. The reason why we're sometimes distracted in prayer. And this is the thing I really want to talk about. Sometimes we're distracted in prayer or even getting like intrusive thoughts that we don't want. Sometimes that's happening because we actually want to be distracted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're distracted in prayer because you want to be distracted. And it's not like a conscious, like, I'm going to go in there and be distracted today. No, no, no. It's something deeper. That there is something in our lives that we are not bringing to God. Yeah. 
and we're afraid to bring to God. And because we want to pray and we want to be good Christians and we do love our Lord on some real genuine level, but we're not ready to give him whatever is deep down in our heart. And sometimes, and what makes this difficult, especially at first, is sometimes we don't realize right away what we're hiding from God. Because sometimes some of those deeper wounds or deeper concerns or even sometimes deeper sins that we are so afraid of them or they hurt us so much that we have subconsciously hidden them even from ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you've done all the things, right? Uh, all of the tools Father Harrison talked about, and it's been like a week and you're still just being, it feels like being attacked with distractions or intrusive thoughts or something like that. Maybe the reason is there's a part of you that wants to be distracted in prayer because you're afraid to bring something to God. And this is when we start to get into some of the deeper parts of the spiritual life, especially when it comes to uh, grace and healing of, of deeper, more uh, core wounds, if you will. It's then it's like, okay, I've been distracted for like a week now. Uh, why isn't God giving me these sensible graces? It's because God's not going to... He loves you too much to let you fake your way through prayer. That's important to acknowledge. God isn't punishing you, but he's not going to let you fake it. Mm-hmm. There's something there that you need to bring to him. And so, and that can be a difficult thing because we, like, the human heart is, is very, very torturous. It's It doesn't reveal itself to us um, readily. And a lot of this times this sort of thing happens because we all employ certain survival techniques um, that kind of keep us alive but at the same time tear us apart. So, uh, for example, uh, maybe you're a person who's experienced a lot of hardship in your life and a lot of hardship in your family. And you've always had to be the one to be strong. You've always had to be the one to keep things together. Because you know if you don't keep things together, the family's going to fall apart. If you don't keep things together, uh, there's going to be chaos. And so that's how you've learned to live your life. But it turns out with God, there's nothing to keep together. Like the chaos and the pain and the suffering in your heart, that's exactly what Jesus Christ wants. But you've built up such an instinct because it served you somewhat well in the past. But God wants you to go deeper with that. And the, the analogy my spiritual director used with me, and it's always stuck with me, and maybe I've talked about it on the podcast, is this image of the tomb. Because even for a lot of good Catholics, we don't live our lives in the resurrection. We live them in the tomb. And we live in the tomb because it's our own choice on a certain level. Because no, it's not great. It's dark. It's damp. It's, it's musty or whatever. But it's familiar. You know, it's not great, but it's home. And so we're going to stay there because we don't know what's outside. Sometimes living in the freedom of God can be the most terrifying thing for us because we've never experienced it before. Mm-hmm. We haven't lived our lives in freedom. We've resigned ourselves to a kind of darkness and to a lack of freedom. And on top of that, because once you start praying regularly and God starts bringing you along in the spiritual life, if that's happening, then the enemy doesn't want you to leave the tomb. He doesn't want you to experience freedom. He doesn't want you to experience new life. He doesn't want you to live the way you are. And the way you are is because of baptism, you are a new creation. So on top of our own fears and stuff, a lot of times the enemy will attack us as well. 
So instead of doing the difficult work of accepting God's freedom, sometimes we just want to distract ourselves. And like I said, this is coming from like deep places in our hearts. We don't do it on purpose. Yeah. And it's a very difficult thing to kind of manage. Yeah. Um, that's why I think stuff like learning more about St. Ignatius's discernment of spirits is a very helpful tool with all this because it asks all those questions. I think so often so many Catholics are not willing to recognize the patience of God. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by this, I mean like God's patient love is enough to say he's willing to let you be distracted for months or years even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is. And he's willing to love you in that. Mm-hmm. Like, so there should be like a healthy honesty that just recognizes the truth of the situation and says, hey, yeah, do I, I'm, distra- I'm distracted. Oh, I'm distracted again. I'm distracted again. Like, what's going on now? Now, like, and, and this word of sermon of spirits is helpful because sometimes it might actually be the evil one who recognizes you going towards a good mm-hmm. or the evil spirit, is, as St. Ignatius likes to say, is right. We're going towards a certain good. And he doesn't want us to go there. Yeah. Right. And why do I find that attractive? Like asking the, all the questions that you can ask of it is so important. And to see that God is willing to love you in that. So often Catholics, the gospel of Christian love has not been internalized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At all. <laughs> you see it all the time on places like Twitter where it's like, I just, I don't know, maybe it's just been pastoral experience for enough years. You see enough people acting out of, all sorts of insecurities and fears and and all sorts of stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah. and I, for me, it's as clear as day. That person's acting out of this. This person's acting out of this. Or I mean, maybe, or they're acting out of something at least, right? Maybe I don't know what right. it is. Right, you know right? something's there. You know, you know something's you know there, specifics. right? Yeah, yeah. But God, his love says, yeah, this is going on in you, and I still love you, and I want to work with you here with this. This is something I was reading about St. Irenaeus today. He's like, really, the whole purpose for God creating us is to bring us into the glory of immortality with him. Mm-hmm. That is the whole reason and purpose God does this. And so he's willing to allow us to go through a crucifixion and, and death. That's why Jesus goes through it himself, so that he can kind of journey along with us in this to say, hey, you no, know, no, like, yeah, this is not a good thing in you, but I still mm-hmm. love you. Oh, and I want yeah. you to be free of this. Like, it's like, you know, you're talking about the tomb there. You know, it's like they kind of roll away the stone. You're kind of blind. like the, And God's kind of like, no, no, it's okay. Here, just, I'm going to cover your eyes. Like, he's kind of walking. Baby, he's almost baby, baby. Yeah. Being ba- but God, this is the thing. God is very patient with this. And he's willing to say, like, it's okay. And so what all that does then, it gives you a very healthy attitude towards sin and towards our own imperfections. And if we can start to internalize this, and I mean, and listen, even that's a growing process because yeah. sometimes when you get into that level of things, you may be sometimes, I know I've, I've seen it in spirit direction sometimes, sometimes people maybe don't fear sin enough anymore. It's mm-hmm. like, well, God, okay, we can work on that, right? But it's like, God's just kind of gently guiding you through this to say, I want you to acknowledge this. And I'm going to be here to walk you through this and to transform you. Now, with all that, though, I think it's also important to recognize that sometimes when we're going through these distractions, which reveal our heart to us, sometimes God, for a greater good, may choose to not heal you of it. You're going to have to explain that because people are freaking out hearing that right now. And by this, I mean, I guess I just I just worry sometimes we, when we talk about this stuff, 
we enter into almost therapeutic Christianity, whereby God always wants to heal everything all the time. Well, which, uh, yeah, I think this needs a lot of a lot of distinction. Yes. So, but I, I guess what I mean by this is like sometimes, like there's a distinction between what does God want you to repent of in your life, and what does God want to change in you. But sometimes he lets he lets a thorn stay in our side. That was what I was going to say. Yeah. Right. Sometimes he lets a thorn stay in our side because his grace is sufficient for us. Right. So this is the difference. So yeah. you may always struggle with a thing, but God still wants freedom for you. Yes. Right? Exactly. So it's it's God's healing doesn't uh magically fix everything, but God can give you freedom in the suffering. Yeah. That's a very difficult thing to describe if you haven't experienced it on some level. Right. But indeed, there'll be certain things because of either our personality or whatever that we will always on some level struggle with, mm -hmm. but we will not struggle with them in the same way. Right. Yes, exactly. You, we will always be carrying our cross, but there's a difference between genuinely carrying it with Christ and dragging it along, kicking and screaming. Right. Yeah. So I think that's that's the point you're trying to make. So that there is, is yeah. Thing. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking um, maybe to wrap up, uh, I had two thoughts and two questions. Let's see if I can remember them. One. Uh, thought is that while this is a very frustrating experience, God is not frustrated with you. And it's actually, this is God's way of loving you. Yeah. You just need to be willing to see that. <laughs> yeah. And, and that takes some learning. Okay. Yeah. So uh, like, like I don't see it. I'm just really angry with God. Good. Talk about that. Tell yeah. him that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's fine. That's fine. I get it. Also too, as a note for spiritual directors is sometimes, like you said, like someone will walk in and say something and right away, I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's not time to talk about that because they have to work through it themselves. Yeah. Right? So that's like we have to have we have to remember about God's patience and we have to be patient ourselves. Okay. Yes. But there's two big questions with all of this. People who are listening, being like, okay, I think this is going on with me. I think there's two big questions. Um, one is why doesn't God just make it better? If he's God, like, okay, he can do all this stuff, but why mm -hmm. doesn't he just fix it? Okay. That's one question. And what was the other question? The other question is, shouldn't I be better? So I'm going to answer the shouldn't I be better thing too, because this is a, a very normal thing that happens with people who are pursuing the spiritual life. They have this great should that hangs over their head. Like, I, sh but I should be over this, but I thought I already dealt with this. You know, I was in high school and I really struggled with this in prayer and I got to a new place of freedom, but now it feels like it's coming back again. Shouldn't I be better? God is not really concerned with where you should be. He wants mm -hmm. where you are right now. Leave the should to him. Mm -hmm. There's this weird thing that we do where it's like, I, I, I should be far ahead, but Christ is right next to you walking toward that place right now. Like, just be where you are. God is bringing you in the right direction. All this suffering and all this annoyingness, this is God bringing you to that should. Don't jump ahead. Don't run ahead of Christ. Walk with him now. I'm hearing a, in a way, kind of subtle critique of the phrase, best version of yourself. Okay, I wasn't thinking about that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is that that. That, that. that goes there, right? So Right, right. Okay. It's like, because like, we think like, okay, a good Christian looks like this, that, and the other Exactly. Thing. No, a good Christian is a struggling sinner. Exactly. Period. Yeah. Right? And so this process, like God, if God wanted you to be somewhere else, you'd already be there. He's bringing you through it. So you need to have a certain kind of humility to say, guess what, God? Guess what, me? This is just where I'm at. And that's a very difficult place to go to where you realize like, I am, I am without God, I am so empty without God. I can't really do anything. 
And I'm not the super holy person I feel like I should be. I do not match all of the hagiography uh, stories of the saints. I'm not there. That's okay. Because God's bringing you to where you should be. So you have to leave that to him. So sometimes the lesson we're learning is just that lesson. That, yeah, God's here. Mm -hmm. And you're walking with your cross to Calvary. Good. Yeah. And and sometimes the answer and the frustrating answer is like, you just got to keep going. I'm sorry. Okay. That goes... You can go. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I add to that quickly. I think, I mean, that that is what you're describing, that is the essence of Christian hope. Yeah. Right? Christian hope says God is here. Right now. Right now. Mm-hmm. For me, that gives me a lot of confidence in, in, around things. Like, but again, like this is where I get, it's weird for me because like I feel sometimes like a lot of people just don't get that. You know, like God's here. <laughs> really and truly in all things. It's why, like, I'll, I'll be honest, it's why I just haven't, I know, and I'm not, and it's not a judgment on those who who did have difficulties with like stuff like the shutdown and everything. But I was like, it's like, I don't know, God's here, like, because mm-hmm. he really is. He's really working through this, and I may not see what he's doing. In fact, because usually when it's the work of grace, you don't see it, and he does right. that for a reason because he doesn't want us to think a it's magic and that he's manipulatable for our own ends because we are sinners and we want to use things for our own ends. Um, but he's really there and the workings of his grace always work through weakness and poverty and suffering. And those are precisely the places he's there most. And that is where Christian hope is. He's really and truly there at all times. And we need to like, just let that kind of seep into our soul. And because we've built up so many walls or we've been breathing the air of the culture for so long, it's it's not the same as, okay, I heard you guys, Father Harrison, Father Anthony, I heard you. Why can't I do it right now? You can't do it right now because this is like an instinctual thing in you. And the only way to heal it is to go through it. Mm-hmm. The only way to get to the resurrection is through the cross. Mm-hmm. And that's the answer to why, why doesn't God just fix it? The answer is he is right now. Exactly. It's very easy to look at the cross and like all the people who are jeering at Jesus Christ, because sometimes we are these people, Just let's just accept it. Get off the cross and show yourself. But really, God was showing who he was completely on the cross. He was showing the depths of his love for us. And sometimes the peace we're looking for, the real deeper peace, isn't, isn't actually taking the suffering away. And that feels weird because the suffering really hurts. And we want to be like, just take it away and I'll be okay. No, 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 no. The suffering is realizing deeply in your heart and in your soul that God is here, that God loves you. It's, it's a really, really short way. To, and we've heard it so many times that sometimes it becomes like whatever. But the deep truth that actually brings us peace is that God is here and that God loves you. God sees you. He's with you. Everything that you're going through, he felt on the cross. He has not abandoned you. He is not ashamed of you. Uh, He's not frustrated with you. He's not even impatient with you. And that's sometimes where the peace comes from. And the only way to actually get through that is not through waving a magic wand. It's through going through it. Yeah. So if you stumble, if you fall, if you make mistakes, I'm sorry, but that's all a part of it. Yeah. And God's not afraid when you stumble and fall. God knows the spiritual life is very much two steps forward, one step back. Like, think about how he worked with the apostles, who were all just a bumbling bunch of idiots like us. Like, he worked with them. Yeah. He, he he even knew they wouldn't even get it while he was on the cross. Yeah. Like, that's how patient he was with them. And he was with them the entire time, even if they couldn't see it or feel it. 
So yeah, that's going to happen with us too. And I wish like there was a five-step method to say, this is how you internalize this. <laughs> yeah, I really I know, do right? because like, I'm, I'm sure this is where everyone else is listening. Like, how do you internalize it? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, and that's where, like, for me, it's maybe, like, I, I can say personally that hope has always been very natural to me <laughs> in a way. Uh, so it's always been a hard thing to teach on how, yeah. but it's about just really like, you're, in a way, like everything you're saying is true. It's just, you gotta be willing to go through it, but this gets to the second thing. It, it actually kind of touches on other things we've taught, touched on over through over the last couple of years on the podcast, which is like at the heart of the Christian life is the idea that we participate in the life of God and God participates in our life. Like, and by participate, I mean like we are immersed in his life and he is immersed mm -hmm. in ours. That's the whole point of the incarnation. God becomes man so that man can be lifted up into the very life of God. And God goes through our way. He goes through our suffering and through our death so that when we suffer and die, he's there with us. Mm-hmm. And that these are like we were talking about last week with or a couple weeks ago with the pure side thing, right? Like this is these are precisely the places his grace works the most. And it's okay. It's okay to go through that. But like to this is where I think the hope comes from. It's just like remember like internalizing every moment, every breath, even when I'm asleep, I'm participating in the life of God by virtue of my baptism. Mm -hmm. And there is never a moment I'm not. Yeah. And there's, and there's, uh, it's also important to remember with you, know, you sharing that hope has just come more naturally for you. Um, and it's important to remember that there are kind of like two ways that God saves in a sense. Mm -hmm. That one, he saves in the sense that um, uh, Mary was conceived without sin. Um, that, you know, she still had to suffer and everything, mm -hmm. but she was saved in that sort of way. And there's others like St. Augustine who had to go through a lot of stuff before they got to that point, and both are good. And the reason why I can say all this stuff that I've said with confidence is because, you know, the, I, I've been through it. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because uh, I shared a little bit of the stuff with seminary. I didn't share all of it. But suffice to say that I had to go through a long period of darkness and suffering, a lot of which was my own fault. And I still don't get it in the sense that I can explain everything perfectly. This is why God did this. But I can look back on it and genuinely say it was good that I went through that. Right. Yes. Um, I'll give a little, if, if you're ever wondering how to see this, I think I might have mentioned it before, but it's worth maybe repeating. Um Cause like, I remember once I was, I was on my diaconal ordination retreat and I was really struggling to accept some stuff that happened in my, in my, in my life. And, um, and I, I struggled to find peace with God in it. And my, and the director of my retreat was noticing this Yeah. <laughs> and, and he said, okay, this is what I want you to do uh, for your holy hour tonight. You're going to take a piece of paper. And on the left-hand side, you're going to put, you're going to divide, well, you're going to divide it lengthwise in half and then um, put with a big line down the middle. And then you're on the left side, you're going to put plus one to 10 and, or plus zero, zero to 10 and then zero to minus 10. And then on the bottom of the page, you're going to mark off the last five years and give them enough gap equal, equidistant, right? So this was 2013. So like 2000, essentially from when I started seminary to, to when I was about to be ordained a deacon in 2013. And then he goes, I want you to think of three or four events of each of those years and just put a number to the experience. Was it a good experience? Bad? How good was it? How bad was it? Right? Yeah. So I, I did this. I charted the dots. And he and that's then he said to stop after that. 
So I brought it back to him and he said, now take your pen again and draw a line through those dots. And I still remember because it was like it was it would have been the summer of 2012 had a minus 10. (laughs) (laughs) And then that following whole year, there was a plus 10 almost right afterwards. Yeah. And it helped me to see if God is here, he's also here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's in both. God can't lead me to the plus 10 without going through the minus 10. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it in both. It's the same thing with uh, Israel's exile. God is in, he's using these like Nebuchadnezzar, these foreign entities. But when he brings them back, they see that God was in all this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even the way they recount it, it says that like the prophet is, prophet Jeremiah is essentially saying like, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. That's what God's saying, which yeah. is horrible to the ears of a, the Jewish people. But they saw God is here. And this is the whole, and this is the thing. That's the hiddenness of the cross. You see, the secret of Christianity is that the cross has actually been at work all throughout history. It's just culminate and recapitulated in Jesus. And that he's living in us out so that in every moment of a real crucifixion, and we all have them at different points in our life, God is actually really working that to bring us to a resurrection in some way. We have, Absolutely. So I, I, I encourage that exercise if you're thinking I have a hard time seeing this. Yeah. Good. So my final thought is if you're distracted in prayer, don't freak out. It's all a part of it. God is there. God is still there. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me on the 200th episode of the Forte Catholic Podcast. They can't find you at Nick and Riley's wedding? I mean, if they go, they'll find me there, I guess. I'll be doing that, too. They'll find you on the YouTube channel? Yeah, on the, the YouTube wedding? channel. Anyways. Yes, I think they're live streaming. They it. are. I don't know. <laughs> Figure it out yourselves. I'm not telling you. You can find me at FR Harrison. <laughs> Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.